Oh God, I thank you that you do bring us together. And God, as I as I sat before even listening to music and praying and um, driving here, praying to God and thinking, Lord, how how will not only we hear, but how how will Bremerton hear? You are God and you reign. God, I pray this morning that you will express your heart to us audibly. God, by your Holy Spirit, you'll work that we can hear your truth and we won't be limited by our own, um, our own limitations. God, please open us to the healing um, that you offer by your Son. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are third week in John 17. Uh, 17, 13 through 19 is where we're going to be reading. If you'd like to turn to that, if you have a Bible. And if you'd like to stand, I really enjoy it when we all stand together when we read. This is what it says. John 17, 13 through 19. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Okay, so I'm going to quickly take us from where we began to where we are now. Um, We're going through Jesus' prayer because... This is Jesus' final prayer, um, for, specifically for his people, uh, the longest prayer recorded in Scripture. And we get to see the heart of Jesus for his people. And this was, I was reminded of, of the beauty of a heart that's expressed in prayer last Sunday when we had our, our first time together, um, just praying together, singing together. And, and the way we set it up last Sunday night was, uh, I played the guitar, uh, Nate played the drum, Sarah sang, and we just kind of sat around. We, uh, we put some paper on the wall, and so when people had a prayer request, they could just write it on the wall. And then if you wanted to pray for those, you could walk up and pray for them. And I had the privilege of taking and keeping all those papers um, and just reading through them this week and praying over them again. And, and it was beautiful to see what people were praying for. It was really, God, may those who walk in the coffee shop be saved. May, may your church really just be on fire for you. And it, it was incredible. You know, sometimes when you preach, you're like, you know, I hope people are like getting truth. And, and some of those prayer requests were so like truth-filled. It was just amazing. Um, really specific prayers for people and, and for healing. And, and so seeing... Your guys' heart for each other, those that were here, um, and I know that's, that overflows into so many more people, but that is, 
that is the heart of the church, and I want that really to expand not only uh, within the walls of the coffee shop, but continue into Bremerton as, as Bremerton gets this heart for God. Um, and so that's what you see in Jesus' prayer, what, what his heart is. And we, we found the first sermon we preached was on Jesus just saying, God, may you be glorified through me. Glorify me so I can glorify you. And this being a prayer that he says, that happened before the world began. So this isn't a new prayer for Jesus. Jesus isn't just out of nowhere being like, you know, I'm kind of worried that you're going to be glorified in this sacrifice I'm giving, so will you be glorified? But Jesus, this continuous prayer of his whole life on earth, but also for all eternity, was God, glorify me so I can glorify you, this exchange within the Godhead of glory. That's beautiful. And so that was Jesus' first prayer. It goes on. The second was that, God, will you protect these people that are in the world? Protect them because now they bear your name. Right? So as people that, that come under uh, the name of the Father, that are in the family of the Godhead, will you protect them? And that was the second prayer. The third prayer we're looking at today is that they would be sanctified. Um, and so as we get this, this message mingled with prayer, because uh, you see in prayer, and I think it's good, Jesus' prayer is a dialogue, it's not a monologue. And as he's dialoguing with the Father, he, they're, they're really sharing something here. And they're sharing a message, and that message is filled with truth. And that truth, if you think about it in this way, it's really neat. That the truth that Jesus is proclaiming is proclaiming him. So he's not just the proclaimer, but he's the proclaimed. Right? He's, he's not just giving words, but he is the word, right? And, so, and that, that's really mingled within the prayer of Jesus, is, oh, that, that they would experience eternal life, and what is eternal life? They would know you, the only true God, and your son, Jesus Christ. And that is, that is right, right within the prayer at the beginning. But this prayer that he's giving is, is interesting, because the truth that's in it, it kind of startles us, I think, because what he says is this, he says, will you protect them while they're in the world? And then he goes on to say, because, because the world will hate them. And the world will hate them because of this. Because they hated me. And so it all has to do with what, they're, what, what is happening when this word is being expressed, right? Is Jesus being the word that expressed? And as he expresses himself as the final word of God, that he's being rejected. But then as the people receive the word Jesus, then they're rejected also. Hated is what he says. Which is really interesting because he says, I've said these words to bring joy. But in return, there's hate. And, And so it really comes down to what we do with the word Jesus as we come into this idea of sanctification, being made holy. Um, and I'm going to sh- there's two stories in the Bible that I'm going to share really quickly with you that help you understand what, what is done with the Word. Uh, the one is the, the woman at the well. There's a story in John 4 that goes like this. Jesus comes to a city, uh, Samaria, where people just don't like him. They don't like him because he's a Jew, because his ethnicity is different, and because the Jews don't like Samaritans, vice versa. And so he comes to this city, and he camps out at the well. 
outside of it. And the woman comes to him, and he talks to her. He says, could you, uh, could you get me some water? And she says to him, you know, why are you asking me? You're a Jew. And so this, this, this story proceeds, and, and Jesus begins engaging with her, and one thing he says to her is, out of nowhere, he goes, he tells her that she has five husbands, right? She's had five husbands. And this is shocking her because, because this isn't just, this isn't something she wants to share with anybody. This isn't something she's proud of. But as Jesus is engaging with her and, and tells her that she can experience life through him, and as this wound is opened in her own heart because of being known, right? And that's what happens when the word comes is it's a word that reveals and unveils the heart. And this woman's known, and what does she do when she's made vulnerable before God? She receives the word. And it's this beautiful thing, is is she all of a sudden becomes a student and starts asking, well, well, how do I worship? What is this... What does it look like for me to worship now that I have had five husbands? And the person I'm staying with right now isn't even my husband. So what do I do now? And so she, she begins receiving the word, and this word begins healing her after wounding her. The next story is the, woman, the story of the, the man who's, who's wealthy, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, So what do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, What? Well, first he says, well, fulfill all these, these laws, you know, that have been set up for you already, you know, uh, tithe and go to church. And he's like, well, I do that. <laughs> and he just is like, okay, okay, I knew you did that. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is really where push comes to shove. I want you to give up everything you own and follow me. And that's wounding to the man. Truth is wounding. Truth is offensive, right? And so it offends him deeply because what he wants is to still maintain his own truth but still have eternal life. And so when Jesus comes to him and gives him something that he can't handle, the man says what? He says, no, I can't handle that. Right? And, and this, is, this is essentially why, why when the word is accepted, that those that accept the word are then hated. Is because you have to understand that the word is offensive. And the word first wounds us because it tells us the truth. And then when we accept it, it becomes something that then we're despised too because we're related with that. Right? The truth, the word, is not compromising. So the word expressed by God is this, and it's, I want you to think of it in these three ways. It is God interfering with the life that we have tried to build for ourselves. It is God saying that he will not share 
the dream that you have built for yourself, but he has a better plan. And he's not going to fulfill your ideas of success, but he's going to show you what true success is. And that is what we hate about God. And that's what's hated when, when people finally come and they say, okay, God, you, you are Lord. You are actually, you are Lord of heaven and earth and everything in it. I mean, we come under that rule and we claim him as ruler now and nothing else as being God over him or more important than him. And so when we align ourselves with him in that way and say, God, my, my dreams, I know I've built up these wish dreams, and I'm just not looking for you to satisfy those anymore. I'm going to come to you and say, God, what do you bless? What do you actually bless? And so the difference between people that belong to the world and people that belong to God are those that receive the word or those that don't receive the word. Is that, is that clear? Um, and there's a lot more to it than that. And so the question right now I, I want us to ask is, have we received the word, and what does that look like? Um, because then those that receive the word, and this is, this is the difficulty for us, is that those that receive the word and then those that don't receive the word are, are put in two different groups here, right? And so Jesus is praying for those who have received the word. And that's, that's hard because we, we like to think, and there's a... Um, if you, you go to theology or philosophy classes, they talk about this idea of a cosmic Christ, right? That everyone just falls under him and, and receives salvation from him. But it, when Jesus is praying, it's really clear. He says, God, I, I pray for those who have received your word, that you would protect those people. Why? Because they're part of your family now, right? And so he's praying for children. He's not just praying for everybody, and this is hard because we, Jesus is the Savior of the world. But now in his last prayer, he's praying for those who have received the word. And this might be difficult for us who were raised singing, Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Right? And which is true. And so we're like, how does that work out? You know, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in the sun. If everyone's precious and Jesus is just praying for a certain group of people, Jesus, what happens to those other people? But it answers it later in John 17, uh, where it says, Just as, Father, you sent me into the world, I am sending them also into the world. So God's praying for these people that will be made holy, that will be made like Christ, so that they go and they complete the work of Christ, which is what to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And so it's important now that we understand what this means when he says, I want these guys to be holy. Because essentially what God is doing is he's, he's making a family that is holy. And so when Jesus leaves, that he can have a people that are going spreading his word, Right? The word that if, is, if it is received, it changes us, it transforms us, because it's not just conforming to us, but ultimately we're conforming to the word itself, to Jesus Christ. And so what it means to be a part of the world, to be holy, is this, that, that God is actually concerned about 
the content of the lives of people. And I want you to think about it in this way, that how disappointing is it when your favorite sports player, it shows that they were just using steroids the whole time, right? You're like, big fan, Lance Armstrong, 7-2 Francis, woo! And then, and then it comes out, just this last year, right, that he was actually doping the whole time. Right? Devastating. Right? Or, if, if you follow a pastor and you're, really, you're listening to his sermons and then you realize that he's had this huge moral failure and that's been building for a long amount of time. Right? And what do you do at that point, right? When you're, you're really disappointed and you go, oh, okay, well, it's okay, you know? Because, what, because the appearance of it, it looks good. It looks real good. Right? All along, it was grow- the church was growing, and so we praised it, right? Oh, well, Lance Armstrong, he was winning Tour de, winning Tour de France's, and so we said he is the best athlete ever, right? But God isn't impressed if a church grows without righteousness, right? Just as we aren't impressed if an athlete can win only by doping, right? And so it's so important that, that we, don't just, we don't just talk about that. Jesus is praying so people wouldn't just talk about being holy or wouldn't just talk about being Christians, right? He says, the world's going to hate them. And unless they get it, unless they get that I'm actually calling them to be, be part of my, my family, to be pure, to be separate, they don't get it at all. In Corinthians 7.1, it says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Right? And that's, that is what God's calling us to. Um, because we have these promises, what are we doing? Man, we're pressing forward. We're, we're pursuing holiness to complete this work that Jesus has began in us. And I don't, I don't really know how to, how to explain it fully, honestly, guys, because it's this, it's this thing that has begun. Because I think oftentimes what we treat um, our faith like is, is like a flower that has been cut and handed to somebody, right? And when it's been cut, it's at the, the peak of its beauty, right? Because it's been cut. It's going to die, And so we, we treat it like, like we've, as Jesus is working in our heart and we've kind of finally come to the point where we're like, God, God, I see that you did make me for so much more, so much more. And, we, and, and that realization comes to us that we are actually made incredibly beautiful. We just need to be healed and redeemed by Jesus. And then we treat it like, so God cuts the stem, and then hands us to the Father, and then the rest of our lives is this slow dying. Right? That's not it at all. You're just, you're just a, a wee little bud, right? When you are saved. And it's this, this language of, of Psalm 1, where it says, this is, it's beautiful, the, the, 
metaphorical imagery of... It says, Oh, the joy of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord on meditating on it day and night. And it says this, They're like trees planted by the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves wither and they prosper in all they do. Blessed is the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. They prosper. They prosper in all that they do. And anyone who comes and talks to me about trying to understand the will of God for their lives, I always talk to them about Psalm 1. Because what is most important is being planted. Planted in the truth of God. Right? And then you don't need to worry what comes because you're planted there. And what does it say? It says, whatever you do prospers. But oftentimes we get so worried because we, we act like we were just cut off at some point and we have to like, we have to like try to find a place to stick our stems so we can like suck up all the nutrients. John 15, right before John 17, which is where we're at, John 15 says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Just like a, a branch is stuck into a tree and it's re- receiving all its nutrients there. That's where God wants you to be plugged in. And so what you're drawing from is the holy life of God himself. Because we can't, if we're Christians, we can't just draw our nourishment, draw resources from anywhere. It has to come from Christ himself. And how, how often we, we treat like we can take it from anywhere. And it sounds like this. Um, I'm, I'm really skeptical anytime uh, someone's expressing truth and they say, I like to think of it like this, right? Because it doesn't come down to what we like to think about it, right? And so, so often you'll have these conversations where people are just sharing what they like to think about truth, right? And then you get to the end of the conversation, and this is usually what happens. And this is what happens in a lot of conversations I've had where, where there's this real um, collision of, of ideas. And you get to the end, and what do they say? They go, well, let's just agree to disagree. Right? Let's, just, let's just both go our ways and just admit that the other person has a lot of good things to share. Um, and as a, as a Christian, I have to say No. I can't agree, disagree. And this is why. This is why. Because Jesus says in John 14, or John 8, he says that, he says, you are truly my disciples if what? He says, if you remain faithful to my teaching, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we have to come to the point of saying, I I do believe that the truth sets free what is that truth, right? And oftentimes that verse is just separated from the beginning when Jesus says, if, if you follow my teaching, right? If you listen to my words, my words will give you life. Right? It, it isn't, isn't left up to what, the way I like to think about it, right? It isn't even left up to the appearance of growth, right? And if you think about this in relation to a church that grows so rapidly or an athlete that performs so well, right? And the appearance is really stunning, right? 
But God is looking for something genuine for us and in us. And that's something that he's offering in Christ. Jesus says, I've sanctified myself so that they can be sanctified. Literally what he's saying is, I've given my life so that they can live. And that alone is where, where living comes from. It's from actually being plugged in to Christ himself. So much will give the appearance of life. Um, and for us, we, we separate oftentimes um, growth from maturity. I think, I think that a lot of times people have midlife crises because of this. Because they invest so much in growth but not in maturity. Does that make sense? And from what I hear is that, that people, the midlife crisis is kind of working its way up earlier and earlier. And you have these people in college that it looks like they're going through midlife crisis. Because really, they're investing in what? They're investing in growth, but not in maturity. People are having crises of faith all over the place. Why? Because they're investing in growth and not in maturity. Right? We're investing in the appearance of things, but not the actuality of, am I actually loving Jesus more? I'm actually becoming more holy in my life. I'm actually understanding the truth of Scripture more. Do I rely upon cute phrases? Do I rely upon short devotions? Do I rely upon all these things and not actually deep maturing? Right? I think so much of us, in, we rely upon what the Bible calls meat. And in, in 1 Corinthians 3, um, this is... Paul really calls this out in the church. Um, And I think this isn't far off from what we oftentimes see. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. If you are still controlled by the sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are still controlled by the sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? And I'm not, I'm not saying this like this is the, the truth for everyone here. It's, this, it's really this call, I think, for all of us to... It's Jesus is praying, God, sanctify them by your truth. What's the truth? The truth is this, this beginning in our lives of the realization that, that God did love the world and God did send His Son, right? So, and since He died and since He was raised, that, that you wouldn't have to die, that you, that you could live in Him, that you can be healed. Right? That's the truth that you're sanctified by. But that's just the beginning, guys. That's the beginning. And if you're not deepening in that you'll be struggling and wrestling and struggling and wrestling over and over and over again. It's so important, it's so important that you are pursuing holiness in your life and knowing that that is, that truth is something that, that for all eternity, you're going to be knowing more and more, right? It, it really, you're not, you're not going to get to heaven and be like, finally I know, right? No, you're going to get there and be like, Finally, I'm with the guy who knows, right? Like, I can just ask him. There's not separation anymore. I'm excited about that. 
So I guess I want us to see God's provision, last of all, for us to be able to grow in holiness. And this he's expressed to us in the Sabbath. The first time the word sanctify is used in the Bible, it is when God creates the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he sanctifies it, right? Sets it apart. And it says in Hebrews that there's still a Sabbath day available to you, but, and it is, it is partially talking about us being able to rest. Take a day, rest. But it's talking about more than that. It's saying that, that in Christ, you can rest. That you don't have to be burdened by anxiety or fear. Why? Because you are people that have been separated unto God by Him. And, and for those that have come to Christ and are His, He won't lose you. Right? But if you choose to remain in immaturity, you will still pretend like He can lose you. Right? If you choose to still live, live as a part of the world, right? Pretending like, like you have no part in the holiness of God, right? that will still be something that over and over and over again, you'll keep wrestling with that. Right? Rather than using that as the beginning and saying, God, now I'm going to use this as that I can actually rest in you and now I'll just begin growing. That when I read the scripture, I realize that God is not against me, but God is for me. And that is a huge difference, right? If you're a Christian and you're still reading the scripture like God is against you, you're wrong. But you have to ask yourself, then why? Why do I see God as against me? Why when I re- maybe read the scripture and God, Jesus is praying, sanctify them, sanctify them. And I say, well, I'm not being sanctified, why? Well, because because God has given you what the truth that He wants you to take and live by. It's like this: we pretend that that God saves us, calls us, and then we just need to like be, and then and then somehow the rest will happen. And the way I thought about this was this. All of us had to learn to tie our shoes at some point, right? Some of us had cooler shoes than others when we were younger. Kaylani has amazing shoes. She, when she stomps on them, they all light up. But we all had to learn to tie our shoes, right? And our parents would, would show us, right? This is how you tie your shoes. Right? And we were like... Are you done yet? You know, like, this is taking you forever. Like, can you do the other? I have to go play. You know? And, and eventually, our parents are like, I, I want you also to learn how to tie your shoes what, so you can do it yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> but for a child who's just waiting to go play, all they're thinking is, if you can do it so well, why don't you just keep doing it? Right? And that's the way we treat God. We're like, okay, if you can keep me, why don't you just keep me and I can just do what I want? But the reason why, why God gave Jesus, saved us, and then preached truth to us is what, so we can believe the truth and then live by the truth. <laughs> but we, we pretend like we have the truth and we don't have to live by it, and yet we'll get all the blessings of it. Right? God, why aren't you? Yeah, yeah. 
when we heard that Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, and he is planted by the tree. He's planted like a tree by the water, and he will not be shaken. And says, what, whatever he does prospers. Why? Because he's living by the truth. We can't neglect truth in our lives and then expect to be sanctified. Does that make sense? And so when, when, God, when Jesus is saying, uh, in it, he says they'll, they'll be hated in this world because they, they love the truth. But God, I pray you'll sanctify them by your truth. And this will be happening and you'll protect them by my name. That, that all these things that we're taking and we're, we're actually learning them, right? That we're not, we're not remaining in this spiritual infancy that we have to constantly um, doubt, you know, doubt that we'll be cared for or, um, or neglect the truth. But that we're actually, we're really developing. And, I, and this is something that... Um, The, the truth is something that we, we constantly treat as being subjective in, in our culture. And I think that's, that's part, if we buy into that, it will really damage us. Um, and so I'm going to give you four points really quick about, about truth, and then we'll finish. And the, the first is, um, comes after, um, in, in light of John 18, 38, where, where Jesus comes before Pilate, and there's this, this famous scene, this really f- interesting scene, where Jesus presents himself, and he presents himself as the king and as the ruler. His rule is not of this world, right? He's, he's from heaven. And what's Pilate asking? He says, what is truth? What is truth? Well, the first thing is the truth has content, okay? And so you're not going to be able to live in truth unless you understand that truth has content, right? That actually has a message, a message that if that message is compromised, it's no longer the truth, right? And so the, the base truth that we're dealing with in the scriptures is that, I think really simply, expressed in John three sixteen, right? That God loved the world and he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And, and some people don't go on from there, though. Right? That's the beginning. Right? I think sometimes I really steer clear using that verse because some people have heard it so much, it just becomes a language to them. Right? But understand that that has content. That God loves the world. That God gave his son. That if you believe in him, that you won't perish. But you will have everlasting life. That's, there's, there's content in there. That that's just the beginning. Grow in that. The, truth, the second is that truth is not up for grabs. Right? It's not that truth is presented and then we get to choose our own option. It's not a choose your own adventure truth. Right? Where you're like, well, I like, <laughs> I really like the way Paul says it, and I don't like the way John says it. Or, you know, it's, it's this conflict, actually, that was written in Corinthians. He says, you know, why do you say you follow Apollos and I follow Paul? He's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we follow Christ, 
And this is not up for grabs. The third is that truth has power. And that's oftentimes why people don't like religion. Because they see it as being of words and not of power. Right? So when we talk about the truth and about a God who loves the world and the God who sent His Son, we're talking about a truth that has power to transform lives, right? We're talking about a truth that, that the world revolves around. So if your truth doesn't have power, it's not truth. It's just a fancy creation of your own imagination. And that's why it's important what you believe Because truth has power. And the fourth is, truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why it says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. What is the word of God? The final word of God is Jesus Christ. And everything stands or falls by that. So with that understanding, I encourage you these things. To... Take God up on his offer. If you're his child of resting, right? Resting in the fact that God is for you and not against you. And so you can be deepened in your relationship with him and and begin learning. Just be like, God, I've heard these things so much, but honestly, I don't really think about him. I don't think about him because I'm so shallow. You know, I, I just... I, I, this is, I'm not talking, yeah, I pray this sometimes, man. I pray like, God, I'm really shallow. I feel shallow today. You know, I, I just want to live like here. And, and I'm, I'm living shallow. You know, what? The second is that, that in that, um, you begin understanding that this isn't just God's desire for you, but this is actually Jesus' prayer for you. This is, this is something that as Jesus is praying and saying, God, I pray that my, my brothers and sisters and you, that, that the children of God will become increasingly more and more holy. They'll be increasingly more and more Christ-like. That, that's something that you can look at as a Christian and say, am I? Am I becoming more Christ-like? Am, seriously, am I? Not do people think I am. Right? That's a, that's a huge conflict for me, you know, as I... I preach every other Sunday. People can think I'm more holy than I am. I wrestle with this just as you guys wrestle with this, right? Wanting to be sanctified by Jesus. Right? That we do this together. That we're constantly saying, God, I, I still wrestle with some of these, these things, these sins that I just can't kick. But I'm not going to pretend like this is something I'm going to wrestle with the rest of my life. I hate it when people come to me and they're like, well, this is just my burden. Right? God's calling you to really come to Him and pray and, and experience victory in those things in your life. He, he wants that for you. And He's giving you the truth to stand upon so you can do that. And there's so much, guys, there's so much for us to learn together in this. Um, so I'll pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Um, but I really encourage you as we sing, as we talk, as we live together, whether you come into the class tomorrow night or just hang out with us or hang out with other believers, that, that you, you're furthering sanctification in other people's lives. Right? 
not by being a pain to them, but actually being an encouragement to them, you know? Um, so pray with me, please. Would you? God, I, I really have a sense that we're just, we're beginning, God, we are beginners. Um, like it says in Amazing Grace that even when we get to heaven, and we've been there 10,000 years, we've only begun. And, and I, I think that is now, God, I, I pray that we all see ourselves who are found in Christ as just merely uh, the beginning of a blooming flower, that there's so much, there's so much beauty yet to be revealed as we partner with Christ, as the Holy Spirit indwells in us, and we let Him just have free reign of our lives. That when we see mistakes in our own lives and mistakes in the church, we don't judge and say that, that God is not there, but we, we pray together that, that we'd be sanctified together and be made holy, God, so that people can see you and not us. God, that, that you would just be making us beautiful. God, that your truth would become something that's more and more and more clear to us, that we don't... Re- let it remain in cute sentences or little phrases that we throw around, but <laughs> it'll be a, a living, dynamic relationship with God Himself. That there doesn't have to be that separation. God, I just pray this for all of us here, um, just for Your blessing in that way. I pray that now that as we we listen, we uh, sing together. Acknowledge the truth that we're singing, that we can really worship God. Like the song said earlier, that you are worthy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.